Welcome back to Random Serling, the podcast where a guest and I watch a randomly selected episode of either The Twilight Zone or Night Gallery, then discuss what we watched. I'm your host, Dan Worsh, and my guest this week is David Fiore. Dave, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Very pleased. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, it's it's always nice when I, uh, a shot in the dark, uh, you know, I get a I get a response and somebody's willing to uh, to watch a a uh, random episode of Night Gallery in this case, because uh, you know I, I gathered from our, our our Twitter exchange that uh, that you've got uh, you've got a little bit of Twilight Zone history, but uh, but less so with uh, with Night Gallery. Yeah, it's it's you know I've definitely seen every Twilight Zone episode, but for Night Gallery, I think maybe ten fifteen is all I've seen. Most recently, we went to a Rod Serling birthday bash at a local theater near my place, and they showed a bunch of Twilight Zones and one episode of Night Gallery, which was a really good one actually. So, and I had seen a few other ones off and on before, but definitely haven't made the leap to any kind of encyclopedic viewing of it. So I keep hearing those good episodes of Night Gallery exist, and I, I, I don't know that I've come across <laughs> them yet, but uh, but I'm waiting. I'm ready. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. I mean, you, you're not the first person to say that, so uh, so I, I believe everybody. It's not just a, it's not an elaborate uh, <laughs> gaslighting of me. Uh, the, 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 there are uh, there are these good episodes out there no no but i mean i don't think if anyone's telling you that night gallery is anywhere near the stature of twilight zone they're definitely uh, selling you a bill of goods but uh <laughs> i think the only person i can recall that uh that was really adamant that they they were a big fan of it they were i think in the same breath admitting that it was very much a nostalgic thing for them because of um, maybe growing up and watching it with a parent or, you know, having some other sort of uh, emotional connection to it that was completely separate from the quality of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean, for me, and this will this will tie into the one that we talk about today, but I mean, I'm a huge fan of classic Hollywood films. So, I mean, just as in Twilight Zone, a lot of old stars show up. And like for me, that's that's pretty much good enough. I wind up enjoying it just for that. So yeah, we definitely we definitely got that in this case, right? Uh, uh, certainly, certainly our main character, uh, uh, as played by Sandra D. Uh, yeah. In the, in the I guess you might call it the twilight of her uh, of her career. Yeah, sadly, I mean, she should have been in her prime, but doesn't seem like it when you look at her filmography. Yeah, it re it really kind of uh, comes to a halt in the uh, mostly in the late '60s, and then yeah, she did a few TV shots in the in the '70s, and and you know, I'll uh, I'll be optimistic and say maybe it's because she didn't have to work. Well, no, I think unfortunately it was uh, personal issues. Like she was involved in a terrible marriage and with Bobby Darren, where everything was going off the rails for both of them. I think and. Uh, I don't think it ever got better. I mean, he died and she just sort of lingered on for a couple of decades, but I don't think it was a very happy life, unfortunately. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah. as soon as you said Bobby Darren, I, I remembered, yeah, that's that's right. It was it was not good. No, uh, not and, good. She, and she was only 62 when she died. I see that here on. Uh, and yeah, this is the part of the the show where I just read IMDb and everybody's right. fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, because I, I think that's it's useful to do because not you know it's there. Anyone can look at it, but few of us actually do, right? So I I like hearing people point things out, even if you know obviously you're not conjuring it up out of thin air, but it's important information. Yeah the the only the only credit she had after the early '80s was a uh, she did one of those call in and be a voice on Frasier. Yeah. in the 90s is a you know I don't, I don't know how many people realize that that uh i think for people that are big fans of fraser a lot of most people know but for those that don't uh so many of the patients on his radio call-in show were celebrities that they actually recorded over the phone uh to to get the kind of real sound of of the of the call quality uh, right and they would have them call in with whatever uh, strange ailments or uh, afflictions people would call into a show about. <laughs> well, I guess that's something that she was able to do that in the 90s, but yeah. Uh, it's too bad there wasn't more. I really like her actually. So Yeah, she uh, I mean I think I think I thought she carried this episode pretty well. I mean it's de- it's definitely I think I would say easily 90% of the episode is is focused uh, focused on her. It's her. Yeah. I do think that's one of the things that in, in Twilight Zone definitely has this as well uh, in, in many classic episodes. I enjoy um, any of these episodes when a singular actor gets to uh, really kind of own it and in, you know, monologue and, and, and kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a one act play kind of uh, uh, kind of approach. And I, I really enjoy that uh, structure mm-hmm. of, of so many of these episodes. Yeah, sure. When the supernatural puts these people through their paces and uh, we get to see them have a variety of pretty extreme circumstances acting upon their minds. Yeah. Yeah. So we got uh, this. Our random episode was season three, episode four of Night Gallery called Spectre in Tap Shoes. Yep. I don't know if I was too excited when I saw that title, but... uh... It wound up being better, better than I thought it would be. I definitely looked at it. Uh, I did like a yeah, double take. It was like, is that right? Did I copy paste <laughs> that correctly out of the uh, out of the episode list? I thought I'd somehow goofed and uh, pasted something else. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not only is that the episode title, but uh, the we see right out of the uh, intro from uh, from Rod Serling the uh, really goofy painting. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like right on the level of the painting of the clown that everyone is tormented by as a child. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the skeletal tap dancer uh, with the uh, yeah, and and he, I mean, though I think one of the things that I don't care for on, on the whole about a lot of night gallery is how he just sort of tells you what's about to happen. There's, yeah. there's like not a lot of mystery to it, and in there is a little bit of misdirection, sure, but. Um, but instead of there being like kind of a reveal at the beginning of the episode, he's like, uh, yeah, there's going to be a tap dancing ghost. So, uh, <laughs> so get ready for that folks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was the best strategy. I mean, in general, I don't know how much it adds to have him wandering through the, the gallery at the beginning, but it, I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm, I'm still, it's all what you're expecting. I, I, because of the Twilight Zone, I, I still kind of prefer when he's in the environment of the story itself, and he just sort of wanders in, even if, you know, he's not actually sharing any space with the actors in like ninety percent of the Twilight Zones as well. But it just there was something cool about that that he just sort of appears on the set and starts talking. 
Yeah, I agree with that. It it, it feels it, in the in these night gallery intros, it feels a little bit lazy. It's kind of um, hey, we've got this completely separate place. It's it was really cheaply put together. It's easy just to basically Rod step out of the writers' room and just over here, and we'll we'll film the the quick stand ups for. You know, who who knows? Maybe they even film multiple, you know, weeks worth at at once. Uh, just you know, knock them all out in a in a, in a you know, few hours in an afternoon or something. I, I'm afraid that probably is how it worked. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a Martin Graham's book uh, equivalent for Night Gallery, but if there was one, I have a feeling that they filmed all of those intros on one day or something. I mean, yeah, it feels like you know, because because even if they hadn't finished the scripts or finished shooting and editing episodes. They would have broke the stories enough to where uh, they they could you know shoot the intros for uh, a number of episodes all at once, even if they were still in production. Yeah, for sure. So here's like a vague uh, thumbnail sketch of what's going to happen. So go out there and sell them on it, Rod. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, or or you know give a passable impression of trying to do that. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we open up with. Uh, a rainy day in uh, in a in a town I don't think we ever quite get the name of or it, it doesn't really matter um, a nondescript town and I guess it's it's in, it's kind of implied that it's somewhere on the east coast. Yeah, you get the sense it's New England because of her because it's the Yankee trader. Uh, yeah, she she makes a reference to the Cape or returning from the Cape also. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, somewhere you know, somewhere in New England, most likely, and uh, it's raining, and she's hopping out of a taxi uh, with a very courteous taxi driver taking her stuff to the uh, to the front door for her, uh, and uh, and boy, then her uh, her her mailman is uh, uh, Johnny on the spot as soon as she walks up to the door, uh, <laughs> you know, dropping off today's mail, giving her an opportunity to let us know that she's returned early from vacation. Uh, yeah, because she wasn't going to keep wasting thirty five dollars a day uh, with it being rainy at the Cape. Also, it's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and as I'm uh, as I'm prone to do, I had to go do inflation calculator. Oh, uh, good. Because because I'm like thirty five bucks a day. You know, well, how much <laughs> could that really be in today's dollars? This isn't that long ago in seventy two, and this was made. No, that's two hundred bucks a night. Uh, in 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 today's money, so I I I would uh, I would consider that to be a premium uh, uh, hotel or rental or whatever. Yeah, I would say so. I wouldn't stay if it was raining, and I knew my sister was back home pining for my company. Yeah, we find out later that she, she indicates that she got some sort of psychic message from her sister. Yeah, uh, you know, with through their twin link. Right. The uh, yeah. So she uh, she heads into the house. She's looking around for Marion, calling for Marion. She uh, we get a we get a, a real obvious zoom in on a photo of tap dancing Marion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the uh, she feeds the cat. She's she's still kind of wandering around the house. We can tell that it's a. Uh, so yeah, the the sign out front was obscured initially, but uh, the. It appears to be an antique shop, sort of a live-in antique shop. 
I, I was getting, uh, I don't know if you're a Gilmore Girls uh, a fan, but uh, I was getting uh, uh, flashbacks to uh, to one of the sets from that show that was a uh, antique store. I've actually only seen a few episodes, but it's sort of on my list of things to, to finally sit down and watch. But yeah, that set is great. I mean, her, her life looks pretty great to me, you know, until what happens, uh, you know, a few minutes after she feeds the cat, but... Yeah, she hears the uh, she hears the music playing and she hears the tap dancing, and so she heads on up to the uh, to the dance studio that's on the second floor. Uh, so yeah, we, what we what we find out is apparently she's got the uh, antique shop on the bottom floor, and then her sister apparently teaches dance on uh, in the upstairs area. She's got a little studio space. Yeah, it's a dream come true to have this uh, this mansion to have your businesses in and. Yeah, not a bad little setup, and uh, and plenty of space to live too. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the dream uh, and, and, uh, does not come true here. She heads up uh, upstairs to find Marion, and uh, and we get the the uh, the the big zoom in screaming, uh, and we see the feet dangling from that are presumably Marion dangling from the ceiling. Uh, having hung herself, yeah, that was effective. I thought. I mean, I. I... I, I, I knew there was going to be a tap dancing ghost, but I wasn't expecting to see the death, you know, that uh, immediately or, or, you know, I thought it was going to be something from long past. So I, I definitely was shocked. I definitely was uh, like started when I when I realized that she was confronted with her sister's corpse. Yeah, with all of the uh, uh, with all the old stuff around the antiques and whatnot, it, it would have been easy to. Uh, to think that uh, it was it was going to be some spirit from one of these one of these objects uh, around the place, but yeah, not so here. The ghost was something someone so intimately connected to her was uh, was a, a shock. Yeah, yeah, and of course we revealed the twin connection. We we talked about the twin connection already and all that. Uh, it was very much teased out kind of over the course of the episode, and we yeah. didn't get all that information on the front end. No, I mean, because I mean we couldn't have yet because Sam hasn't arrived to be. Uh, the exposition download man. <laughs> yes. No, there's a lot of convenient guys around who uh, who enable her to f- flesh out what's going on a little more, which is good. No, I mean, I never suspected they were twins. Just like, you know, she's got red hair and Sandra D does not. So, I, you know, I never thought, oh, I guess one of them dyes their hair. <laughs> but I just thought uh, they were, you know, just regular sisters maybe a couple of years apart yeah they didn't uh, they didn't give us any obvious clues on the front end that they were uh, that they were twins no but uh so we get a kind of a weird you know i don't know whether to call it a montage or what here uh it's like a, a hazy flashback dream sequence feeling kind of thing um that uh that ends up uh with a really tight focus on the sign that we can now read out front that says the yankee trader Millicent Hardy proprietor um, and then we cut inside where she's sort of sitting in a daze and the phone is ringing and she's ignoring it she's in her bathrobe which we see her in a bathrobe a lot in this uh, uh, this episode that might have been part of the uh, uh, you know a selling point to kind of coax Sandra D to come participate like hey it's gonna be a really chill shoot you're basically <laughs> gonna get to hang out in a bathrobe most of the time you're just going to have to wear the tap dance leotard like one time. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah, I like being in a robe, so who doesn't? 
it's comfortable. You can sit around, you can smoke a few cigarettes. It's really, it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be like vacation. <laughs> Just have to look a bit morose. And uh, yeah, I actually, though, I think she does a really good job of uh, showing the state that she's in, but also making us, you know, 100% aware that she's kind of a lovable person in the neighborhood. Like when she answers the door and the kid is there and she has that talk and the kid is, you know, expressing condolences. Uh, she just, you know, really gives the impression of being a good person that everybody is kind of cheering for, and they're hoping she's going to make it through this. Yeah, we definitely get the idea that, you know, they're, they're, she and her sister were, you know, kind of you know, valued members of the community, and certainly that she has a lot of connections, and to your point, people are, uh, you know, hoping that she'll she'll kind of come out of this and, uh, and be able to move on. Um, and yeah, I think it's watching her sit around in that in that sort of days of uh, of grief and, and and all that. It sort of reminded me, and maybe it's just because she was surrounded by all the objects and everything. Um, uh, having just finished watching the most recent season of Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. uh, I'm reminded of, or it'd be very interesting to see what this would be shot like today. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think about uh, uh, Chuck McGill's. Uh, uh, house when he's got all the electricity turned off and he's kind of created his little uh, hermit, you know, cave. Yeah, uh, that's uh, there's kind of shades of that here. It'd be interesting to see what with with modern techniques and uh, uh, some of the incredible lighting stuff and all that they've done on that show. Um, what what could be done here and not on a shoestring budget as this show was undoubtedly <laughs> produced. Yeah, no, I think that's a good comparison. So I think uh, so. So shortly after the little boy comes and uh, offers his condolences, uh, Millicent gets a little uh, a little scared. She she hears a noise and and goes into a check, thinking it's the cat, and sees a face in the dark. And she she kind of freaks out. Uh, and then uh, we we cut to Sam. This is where we meet Sam. And he's there just to, you know, kind of calm her down. And he's he's calming her down by saying, don't worry, it was just this. And he holds up. <laughs> it was just this severed head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think that was the right technique. Yeah, there's some other way to reveal that it was just a wig on a... <laughs> on a I don't know what the I don't know what the technical term is for the fake head that a wig sits on when it's not in use. But the dummy head that... Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wig holder. Yeah. <laughs> And this so is where Sam, we learn that it's been about six weeks since uh, since Marion died. Yeah, I mean, he means well. I just don't think that he is. He's really the most effective caretaker or grief counselor. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, in most ways, I think what she's doing is is would be normal. If you lost someone that close to you, you would be in a in a really impaired state for a few weeks but of course the visions she starts having are a little bit out of the ordinary and yeah, the and sounds I think this scene with Sam is uh, where she she launches very quickly uh, you know she's got her laundry list of all the things that she's seeing that uh, are she's already thinking are evidence that she's being haunted by by Marion she's you know she's running around the bedroom pointing out one thing after another mm-hmm yeah, I mean, and he's, he just got, he just has one stock explanation for all of it, I guess, and just like, you're, you're letting your mind get away from you here. 
but he, he doesn't seem to be treating each thing individually after the wig. He's just kind of saying, look, just calm down. Yeah, there's there's definitely shades of sort of misogynistic, uh, oh, you're being hysterical, you know, kind of, uh, you know, from you know, of that era or, uh, you know, even more so before that. But uh, it definitely feels like that there's a little bit of that tied up in this. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, he tries to convince her to uh, uh, to talk to Dr. Coolidge. Yes. <laughs> which she's not at all interested in doing. A shrink. <laughs> And then, of course, uh, as as the exposition download continues, he uh, then also lets us know. Oh, also, don't forget, Jason uh, wants to pay you twenty three grand for your property. Um, he's he's buying up the neighborhood, and uh, uh, they kind of gloss over that. Uh, she doesn't seem particularly interested, um, and uh, that's where we get the first moment where she uh, she after she's said that. There's cigarette ash everywhere, and her sister smoked, but she doesn't. She sort yeah. of casually picks up a cigarette, and 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 realizes it, and has a little bit of a, a breakdown. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, Chuck's realization that maybe he's imagining, or I mean, he's imagining his illness, or I mean, in in Better Call Saul. Like, oh yeah, she she's kind of starting to worry i guess that uh, something is going on maybe she's playing these pranks on herself that is what sam i guess eventually decides right or the doctor someone basically says like your unconscious mind is going around gaslighting your conscious mind and uh it's a it's a very unsettling kind of thing to think about if you if you go with it and i guess i mean she she sort of seems to believe it at times. Yeah, it's. It, I, I think the interesting thing about this episode, or an interesting thing about it, is that it felt very rushed to me. Yeah. Um, you know that that uh, you know it's it was only I think like a twenty three minute um, episode, mm-hmm. and it's one of these where it feels like they really kind of had to cram it in in terms of what they wanted to do, and so there's a lot of very quick dialogue. There's and and, and none of it really has room to breathe and. And so that leaves with leaves to things like uh, Sam doing these these exposition downloads and then just bugging out. <laughs> yes, yeah. he's, he's like, all right, well, uh, you know, see ya. Because <laughs> he's, yeah. he's next thing we know, he's he's gone and she's wandering around the house alone again. Uh, yeah. with the music and the tapping. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it's it it'd be interesting also to to see what this would be like uh, given a little more room to uh, to breathe. Yeah, I agree, because what it's trying to do is quite sophisticated in some ways. So, yeah, it could have been, it could be a full movie, but not in this case. Yeah, because we're kind of intended to go on this journey of thinking, you know, here's a, here's a perfectly ordinary person, you know, you know, sane, uh, you know, who is, is driven mad. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's quite a, you know, a roller coaster we're intended to go through, but it's kind of hard to be along for the ride when it's all... Uh, moving along so quickly. It's like, okay, she's starting to lose it. Kind of take our word for it. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, the character of... It, it, Jason is his name? The Dane Clark character? Yeah, Miss, Mr. Jason. I guess Jason right, must be his last right. name. Yeah. So that guy, I mean... I actually, I really like that actor too. He's another old Hollywood guy that, uh, that I, he's in one of my favorite 40s films, Moonrise. Um, so this is, you know, obviously much later for him, but, uh, he, I think he's good 
in the scenes that he has, but there's there's there are a few scenes missing, I think, where you, you if they could make you a little more comfortable with him, so it's more of a shock at the end. I think it would have been better. Yeah, I mean, particularly there's there's some stuff about his character that that comes out in the last like minute of yeah. the episode <laughs> that um, they you know given more time you, they could have you know kind of woven in. Uh, earlier on instead of just saying oh by the way here was his motive <laughs> yeah i know it's and actually you know a lot of this plot winds up being similar to uh to gaslight the um the sort of the movie that gives rise to the you know the modern term gaslighting right the uh, have you ever seen the 40s gaslight i don't think i have i i'm, I'm aware that that is the, that the origin of the term was uh, from from a film, but uh, I didn't I didn't realize that uh, I don't think I've ever actually seen the film. Well, there's a, a British film and which was called Gaslight, and I think it was retitled Angel Street later. And then MGM made a remake like four years later, 1944, and that plot really is uh, about someone trying to drive someone else crazy in order to get stuff that was hidden in the house. Oh, with uh, Ingrid <laughs> so, Bergman, yes. Yeah, and Charles Boyer uh, is is really pulling all kinds of tricks on her. So yeah, it it was clearly you know an inspiration for this episode. But Gaslight did not have a psychic twin connection that was also pulling the episode or the story in the completely opposite direction. That's kind of the most interesting thing about this. It's basically exposed as a Scooby Doo plot. But at the same time, she is, she really is having some kind of psychic communion with her dead sister. Like she's turning into her at different times. Yeah, we're not, um, that, that's not really totally debunked at any point. No. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, even as the, the closing of the episode, uh, you know, gives us uh, the idea that uh, it's, it's not, it's not done yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, the the your I was uh, holding back a chuckle when you mentioned Scooby Doo because I totally had that uh, experience. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually watching this uh, uh, as I was eating my lunch today at work, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, trying not to uh, to draw too much attention to myself as I was uh, having having that same moment where it was like, really, this is you know, they might some somebody might as well have had a mask on. They got. <laughs> You meddling kids. Yeah, I mean, the, the recorders hidden all over the house. I mean, that is the kind of thing that you would only see on the Scooby-Doo program generally. But uh, but no, I mean, this guy really went to a lot of trouble. Yeah. And bought a lot of equipment. Yeah, a substantial investment. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, he, he might have been able to simply uh, sweeten his offer uh, substantially. Uh, yeah. based on what, what he'd already spent on electronics. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't understand. But, you know, some people have to go the hard way. Yeah, the because uh, the uh, even even with the inflation calculator, his $23,000 property offer, that only translates to like 140000 in today's dollars. So Yeah, that's not much for a mansion. No, I mean, that's a, I mean, for a property like that, that uh, uh, presumably would have commercial use as well as uh, uh residential not uh not a great price no not really <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
yeah so so mr jason stops by he's trying to he's making some other obvious like hey i'm trying to get the whole block of properties and um he he uh he doesn't react when she starts hearing the sounds again <laughs> no and, and uh and so she's you know she's kind of thrown by that and he uh he suggests that you know well, I've got this idea to you know swap properties with you. Maybe if you move to this other house, you could be free of your sister's memory. And uh, and her response is that twins are never free from each other. Yeah, that's right. This is a very ominous moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he leaves, and then we get the 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 bit where she finds the uh, uh, the little cameo uh, uh, necklace. Oh yeah, with the picture of her. And the other side is a really poorly drawn skull. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And that definitely leads to a trip to the doctor, right? I guess it's right after that that she goes to the doctor, right? That's right. We finally get to meet Dr. Coolidge. (laughs) And that conversation, it's, uh, it winds up mostly being about Marion's sex life. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like, uh, I mean, I do, I know that doctor patient confidentiality does, you know, doesn't outlive, uh, when, when the patient dies, but, but yeah, he doesn't really show any restraint here. He's like, (laughs) he's like, uh, you're delusional. Um, so cut that out. And also, uh, your sister was a slut. Yeah, he's like slut shaming this totally. poor dead sister. I mean, <laughs> that's literally what my note says. It says Dr. Coolidge proceeds to slut shame the dead sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of unbelievable. I do not want to go see that doctor for anything. Yeah, Dr. Coolidge, uh, I think we can agree is uh, the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh and he he but he does he triggers Millicent to to your point earlier about this kind of connection she's formed. Um mm-hmm. she kind of slips fully, she kind of goes full Marion in that in that moment. She does. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I I liked it. I mean, in spite of myself, I really found that eerie. I I was like, "Oh, this is kind of silly." But I still I got a little a, a little disturbed by by her quick change into the other persona so i guess it worked yeah absolutely yeah she says uh you know that uh you you bet your sweet bippy there were some men yeah (laughs) no that was uh that was an (laughs) ominous line it shouldn't be it look it would look stupid on the page but somehow the way she read it it worked (laughs) yes i think uh for and for those who didn't watch as much uh nick at night as i did as a kid uh or aren't old enough to be familiar with Rowan and Martin's laugh in uh, the, <laughs> the, the phrase you bet your sweet Bippy was, was rather timely uh, right, for, for right. the, for the early seventies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty well died out these days though. Yeah. <laughs> so then I guess uh, everything's all laid out and uh, we're a bit, we're pretty much being set up to think that she really is being taken over by her sister. And that's the only thing happening. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. She, uh, you know, she gets back to the, uh, uh, to the house and when she's getting out of the cab, the, uh, she sees the silhouette of a body hanging in the window mm-hmm. and, uh, we we get more wandering around the house with lots of random noises, the burning cigarette. There's there's, and then she kind of goes into her her final, 
uh, or final performance of, you know, shouting at Marion, what is, you know, asking what she wants of her. And, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then in the midst of all this, there's this, it's, it's kind of this powerful moment. And then she glances over and there's an eight by 10, a framed eight by 10 of Sam yeah. sitting on the, on the desk or on the table. <laughs> and I think may have been his, like his actual headshot. <laughs> his acting headshot they still sure. had it around in the production office so they went ahead and framed it yeah that's how you work on a low budget you don't make a new photo that's right so and she and she's like oh sam i'll uh, i'll call him and uh and while she's uh, getting uh to do that the, the music starts again and then the whispering starts yeah yeah the uh it's like uh millicent come put on the costume and come upstairs and hang yourself yeah <laughs> it's i mean it was you know i was definitely watching that going okay yeah here we are we've we've been kind of building up to this for a while um mm -hmm. this is the part where she goes and does the same thing her sister did yeah it was i don't know i don't know i feel like this revenge scheme should have worked a little more subtly <laughs> but it no this is how it's going so she does get all dressed up. Yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, and once again here, it's like, boy, they're they're like really racing to the finish line here. Because uh, yeah. it all moves very quickly in that last, like, you know, two minutes or so. And uh, and so, yeah, she she races upstairs in the in the full the full get up. <laughs> and uh, and and here's Marion's voice letting her know to don't worry. It's just a moment of pain. And, uh, you know, then, then you'll be able to join me forever. Yeah. And it's a good I, offer. I, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I must admit, I sort of fell for it. I thought, oh, they're going to go with the like the morose kind of, you know, super dark ending where she just is swinging from the rope, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, I thought so too, actually. But no, this is we get the Scooby Doo ending instead. It's, <laughs> it's like that moment in Wayne's World when they say, "Let's see the Scooby Doo ending." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's uh, it was Mr. Jason stepping out of the shadows, and he lets us know he was being blackmailed by Marion because he was one of the one of the many men that she uh, <laughs> that she was sleeping with. Uh, of course, he's married. Yeah, and I, uh, go ahead. I I just feel like he he just I don't know why he didn't wait longer. I mean, I don't know why he didn't try. I mean, it didn't seem like there was any really pressing need to come out of the shadows and kill her right there. I mean, if he had, was so patient to set all this up and then just because she doesn't commit suicide that one night, I mean, he, he reveals himself and is, is ready to pull the trigger himself. But I guess, no, it, it's all the exigencies of the 23-minute story. Yeah, I mean, and not to mention the fact that in the time that he was hiding all that uh, electronic equipment... He couldn't perform a more thorough search of the house to find the letters he was looking for? Exactly. No, I mean, I don't understand. Because, like, they're right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, you're like, hmm, it's somebody who had a music studio and was trying to hide something. Uh, uh, <laughs> at where, what places might they, might they try to put it? Yeah, I think they could have thought all of this through a little more, <laughs> and so could Mr. Jason. Yeah, very, very rushed here, but, uh, but he's, uh, he wants those letters, and... Uh, Millicent slash Marion, because she's kind of almost both in the moment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, did, you know, begs for her life and says, well, I, if you want the letters, I'll give them to you. And so she reaches into the, uh, the upright piano and, 
and pulls out the stack of letters, but also a revolver. Yeah. And wastes no time. She goes ahead and just shoots him. Yeah, you, you get the sense that Marion maybe wasn't very nice, actually, and was an inveterate blackmailer with a backup plan to shoot anyone that came looking for letters. I mean, the, the box is all set up for her to do that, so... Indeed. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a kind of uh, edgy piano teacher, dance teacher. But... Yeah, and then we get the, uh, we get the lightning speed wrap up after that. It's the, the cops are there and we, we see that we see the body getting loaded into the, uh, into the back of the ambulance or the, uh, the coroner's vehicle, whatever it is. And, uh, then we get the cops saying, yep, there were devices all over the house. Check it out. Microphones, <laughs> uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, and then Sam goes ahead and uh, joins in the exposition party and says, uh, <laughs> yep, uh, it turns out his business was all in his wife's name with her family's money. And uh, he was desperate because uh, he couldn't let her find out that uh, he'd been cheating on her or he'd be ruined. Right. Yeah, I guess that that's the, the best they can do to, to explain the urgency of it. But there doesn't seem to have been any reason to believe that he was going to be exposed. Now that, like, it makes sense that for, like, the plot of, of her being killed by him, the initial murder makes sense, I guess, given that. But not this other scheme. Like, just leave the letters where they are if... Uh, Nobody knows about them anymore. I don't understand why he's even doing any of this. But. Yeah, the the it's. I don't. I don't know that we can join him on the logical leap from. Well, <laughs> I can't. I can't find those letters. So, I guess I'll buy the house and and uh, destroy it. And destroy the sister who is trying to get on with her life <laughs> in the aftermath of my first murder. Indeed. Yeah. Oh well. So yeah, she uh, the the kind of the closing bit though that we get is uh, is Millicent letting Sam know that because uh, we kind of think oh everything's you know everything's all tied up with a nice bow everything's fine, uh, mm -hmm. but she lets Sam know uh, it, just at the end that what uh, she doesn't understand because she didn't know anything about the letters or about the gun. Uh, yeah. And right after she says this, that's when the the we hear the piano start playing again and the tapping start, and then we fade <laughs> out. Yeah, so she's not done with these ghosts, but hopefully it's a, it's a sort of a symbiotic relationship that she'll be able to live with. Um, hey, this is something that I guess some Twilight Zone episodes do too. I'm thinking of like King Nine Will Not Return, where uh, it's all some kind of psychic or supernatural event, supposedly, but there's also evidence that it really happened. I don't know if you've seen that episode yet. Yeah, actually, uh, just oh. uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, that's uh, one of the more recent ones that I've covered on this show. That's right. That's right. I, I heard that show. Yeah, I think back in uh, April uh, or uh, or early May. I can't recall when it posted, but uh, uh, yeah, the uh, it's sort of that, and it feels a little lazy when they do it, where it's like, okay, we've gone on this whole journey, and then like as we're fading out, they're like, or maybe it really happened, and like <laughs> yeah. I mean, in this case, maybe it makes a little more sense because it's it doesn't necessarily negate like they're kind of they they could both be happening. She could be getting possessed by her sister and being plotted against by Mr. Jason, and they just all, sort of everything comes to a head at the same time, and she is able to kill him with the help of the dead spirit possessing her, but. 
But yeah, yeah, you wouldn't normally see a story have both of those things happening at the same time. So it's kind of uh, it's unusual in that for sure. You don't get that kind of story all the time. Yeah, the uh, I guess the the most generous way to uh, to to frame it would be to say that oh, it's got shades of uh, Psycho uh, mm-hmm. in the you know, the. In the with the with the ending of it but uh i think that's maybe a little too generous for this <laughs> yeah it's not quite up to the hitchcock level i don't think <laughs> no indeed but uh yeah it's uh it was it was something <laughs> yeah well again it, it's it's nice to see these actors and getting to see them doing things a little bit later than i'm used to seeing them in uh in terms of their ages and in terms of, you know, film and TV history. So that's always great. And it was entertaining. I mean, I I was pretty engaged with it right up to the end. But it doesn't seem to add up to much that is, you know, monumental. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not as familiar with Dane Clark's career, but uh, kind of to your point about how he'd... he'd, Boy, what a a journeyman. uh, uh, It's a a long scroll down his... uh, IMDb page. I'll, I'll have to go back and check out some of his uh, some of his classic uh, ones. You said uh, Moonrise is the big one. Moonrise is just an incredible movie. Just incredible. Like I mean, he he was a, a star uh, at Warner Brothers in the '40s, so he he did have some lead roles. He and he would often, but more often he would play like the second lead, like the the Brooklynese best friend of. Uh, <laughs> like John Garfield or someone like that. Like he, all, he usually played tough guys, but uh, Moonrise is uh, really sort of a unique and uh, it, it's directed by Frank Borzage, who's uh, a specialist in kind of ethereal romance kind of films. And Moonrise is it's a it's it is an ethereal romance, but it's also a film noir. So it's uh, it's got a like unbelievable atmosphere to it and and it does have a kind of uh character who's haunted at the center of it which is dan clark's character so it's it's twilight zoney in a way too well and i will say that uh for for people who uh enjoy 70s and 80s television uh there's a real good chance you've seen him pop up in more than a few uh of your of your favorite tv shows over the years i saw that he made appearances in uh the original Hawaii Five-0 and Fantasy Island, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, his his last role uh, was uh, uh, like a few other people. He was in two different episodes of Murder She Wrote as two different people. Ah, great! <laughs> it's it's always always my favorite is when I see Murder She Wrote credits in somebody's uh, IMDb because it's it's almost always if they've got multiple that they just like the you know the character actor and so they uh, yeah come on but it's been five seasons nobody's gonna remember that you were an FBI agent five years ago. Sure, why not? Now you can come come back and be the murderer this time. <laughs> And it's yeah that it's not like Star Trek where they can just make you a different alien every time. So you just look the same, but people are they just overlook it. I guess you know continuity wasn't such a big thing in the eighties for TV. So. No, I think uh, you know I, I think somewhat famously, I think Law and Order. Once you're on it, they won't have you be on it again. <laughs> Uh, right. for, for that reason but uh you know just just not too long earlier in the in the 80s yeah a show like murder she wrote that ran for a really long time uh yeah i think they, <laughs> i think they realized wisely that they were going to run out of of people to play bit parts if they were uh, uh that picky about it yeah 
If you want to keep uh, bringing back some of Angela Lansbury's contemporaries, well, there weren't that many of them that were still active at that time. So. Oh, for crying out loud, 264 episodes. <laughs> oh, wow. No wonder they had to use people over and over again. <laughs> That's an insane amount of TV. It is. We watched a I ton can't... of it when I was a kid. It's a fun show. I mean, I haven't rewatched it at all since yeah since probably the early 90s but i kind of would like to you know revisit a few episodes here and there i like the uh i like the fan theory or the kind of you know uh you know it's it's more of like an internet trolling kind of thing but like the idea that jessica fletcher was actually a serial killer because why else would this um you know this author (laughs) be, be adjacent to so many murders yeah well sure why i mean there are a few uh, detective sort of properties over the years that wind up taking that route where the the detective is the murderer at the end, right? <laughs> like, um, there's one, epi- one uh, Nero Wolf novel where they wind up uh, making one of the, one of the operatives has actually been killing people throughout the, throughout the history of the book series. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Jessica Fletcher's got a really dark streak. Could be. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think we've probably covered that this is not an essential episode of uh, of Rod Serling's uh, oeuvre. <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. I was thinking about that question today, and I, I feel I have to answer no. That's uh, not shocking, and uh, I don't think we have to feel bad about that. He did he did so many good, <laughs> yeah. so many great things. Uh, it's okay if this isn't one of them. That's right. Well, Dave, uh, before we go, uh, one, I want to appreciate, uh, you know, you joining me tonight and, uh, uh, and before we go, I want to hear, uh, have you tell people uh, where they can find you out there? I guess I've got a few, uh, places I hang out. I, I do use Twitter a fair bit, not that much, but uh, a few tweets a day, usually miles Coverdale there. So that's a character from a Nathaniel Hawthorne novel. And I have a podcast. It is kind of becoming more of an all-purpose podcast these days, but the original idea was uh, my girlfriend and I, we watch time travel movies and talk about them. So we've done like 40 or 50 episodes of that. That podcast is called Another Kind of Distance. Right now, though, we're covering the new Twin Peaks series. Uh, which does have some time travely elements to it, so we decided we could stretch it to cover that. What I was going to say was the beauty of it is uh, you've uh, you've put it all into the uh, the same feed, so people only have to go to one place to, uh, <laughs> to, to to find all of that. The beauty of it and the economy of it too, because uh, we did have a separate feed for a comics podcast that we were doing, and uh, we just found that it wasn't. It didn't make sense. We, we we could just have everything on one feed, so we do uh, we do talk about '80s comics on there too. Um, and the other thing I guess people could uh, do if they're interested is check out my novel, which is a time travel novel. It's it's out there. It's uh, called Hypocritic Days, and it's about a character who winds up in the 1930s and involved in all kinds of political, uh, historical shenanigans oh who doesn't love shenanigans (laughs) well i do for sure and uh yeah that's so those are the main uh, the main ways to engage with me i guess i mean anyone who wants to follow me on twitter and 
exchange ideas about time travel or Serling or Star Trek or anything else. I'm always up for that. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'll, I'll have links for all those in the show notes for sure. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, and now I'm curious without getting into a complete, you know, uh, derail, uh, and well, and I wouldn't want to give anything away. Uh, I've not read your book, uh, yet, but I'm a sucker mm-hmm. for time travel stuff. So um, I'm gonna have to check that out. But, uh, uh, do you, which, which do you prefer? Do you prefer time travel where it's the sort of, uh, what happened happened, uh, type scenario or the, uh, we can go back and change stuff. Do you have a do you have a preference? Ah, excellent question. I, well, Elise and I've debated that a lot on the show, and I don't know if I have a favorite because I mean, I there are there are stories that I love that do both, or you know, that do one or the other. I, I really think that the only thing I'm concerned about is that the person doing the creating the story chose the right model to convey the kind of a theme or emotions that they want to convey, right? Like, if you're trying to do something with a fatalistic theme, then, I mean, what happened happened is incredibly good for that, right? Indeed. Uh, but, you know, I guess if you're trying to do something a bit more optimistic or wild and crazy, obviously, then you want to go for door number two and have alternate realities. And So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely get into either. My time travel novel, though, is definitely in the uh, alternate realities camp, so multiple timelines. Yeah, there's uh, there's certainly, to your point, uh, often more fun to be had there uh, to kind of spread out and, uh, and see where it takes you. Yeah, exactly.